Through the years, I've heard over and over again that salvation is free. It's a free gift, which you can't earn. You can never be good enough to get it. It's completely free. Just receive it by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I totally get in Romans 5.15, it refers to salvation as a free gift. As Paul found himself frequently having to address and battle certain legalistic persons who tried to tell the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised or keep certain food laws, etc. in order to be saved. But Christianity has come a very long ways from that end of the argument and seems to have landed solidly on the side of grace over works. But is it fair to question whether or not we have made an overcorrection. Let's get into it. You know, most every Christian knows that it's by grace that we are saved and not by our works. And that is actually true. Um, coming from a very works-oriented religion, I had to get set free from the delusion that I needed to labor so that my good works would somehow outweigh my sin or that maybe that God would love me. And I am so very thankful that I got free of that lie. But for those who are heavy on the grace-oriented thinking, there is a dilemma of Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, which says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I can't think of a time that I've heard a Christian sermon actually touch on that. But based on what John records of these words of Jesus, works certainly play some role in our eternal welfare. In fact, in Romans 2, verses 6 and 8, which is the same letter where we just read that salvation is a free gift, Paul also speaks of the judgment of God, saying, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, Having said that, this episode isn't really about grace versus works. I know, right? Years ago, I concluded that we are saved by grace if, you know, we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Previously on this podcast, I've spoken about what it means to actually believe in Jesus and that if we abide in him and he abides in us, and follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit, then our works are then considered good works. 
and that good works are not just a matter of charitable acts or things we believe God wants us to do, as even non-believers can help the poor and assist a neighbor. And in fact, I, I know many that do and have uh, many atheists that are good people and do charitable works. Whether or not our works are considered good, to my understanding, it's borne out by whether or not we have been transformed by the love of God so that we have love for our fellow man. So it is the Spirit of God that leads us to do that which is truly good. So you see, even as an unbeliever, you might do charitable acts for those who are downtrodden. And this is good. Um, but as a non-believer, you're probably not going to do charitable acts for someone who has tried to kill you or to rob you or has hurt someone that you love. That's where the charitable acts end. Can you have charity for not only those who you sympathize with, but can you have charity in your heart for those you hate, for those you despise, for those who are your enemy or those who disagree with you and believe differently than you or that you feel is a problem in this world? Can you have charity for those who are of a different political persuasion than you or who think differently than you? And that's where the rub comes. It is also important to know that something which would be considered good in the eyesight of God may not appear so according to the wisdom of man. I once had a man tell me before a room of elders that I had an evil spirit and that I needed to pray. He said these words in love without any condemnation. It was an act of love borne out by the spirit. And he was right. I am grateful even to this day for those words, which were spoken in a very direct, but also gentle way. The hurt that I had been feeling as a result of what I had been put through by the church had caused me to become extremely angry in my heart. And by this means, a spirit of anger had taken up residence there. When he said these words, it took little time for me to quickly analyze the situation and realize he was right. You know, immediately I fell to my knees and I asked God forgiveness. And as a result, healing came not just to me that day, but to many that were there. As I got up from praying with tears, I confessed that I was sorry. And as I did so, many, even some, who had played a role in my hurt, likewise wept, and they ran over to embrace me. I really believe that God is about reconciliation, if we are willing. Holding a grudge gives Satan a foothold in our lives, which is something I wanted to touch on today. But let's return to the question of whether the gift of salvation is really free. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 states the following, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And I believe this is true. And I have seen the bitter fruit of judgment, ego, and shame 
that accompany works-based religious beliefs and those who follow after the law. Even so, something began to rub me the wrong way about this oft-repeated, even sometimes gleeful exclamation made regarding free salvation. And then one day, as I was listening to yet another declaration about the free gift of salvation, I finally realized what was bothering me about these proclamations, and that is that forgiveness isn't actually free. That someone very dear paid a heavy price for our pardon. Even Almighty God he took upon himself flesh and blood, and being innocent, suffered terribly and, and was cruelly put to death. And while I am thankful for his sacrifice, the first thought that springs to my mind is not how free it is, but rather how costly it was. People tend to take free things for granted. And I sometimes wonder if we don't do this in regards to how he suffered and perhaps still does suffer for our sins. So what I realized is that our forgiveness and the reconciliation of man to God wasn't free. It came at a heavy cost. And I believe we should equally emphasize that aspect of it as well. And now there's something else I want to share about this. You know, despite the many declarations that salvation is free, the biblical truth is that God does not automatically forgive our sins simply because we believe in him and ask him to do it. Now, I won't even spend time on the requirement that Jesus clearly gives in his gospel, that receiving forgiveness also requires repentance on our part. I think there have been many arguments on that and debates and opinions, and I don't really feel like I have that much to add to the subject. But setting that aside, assuming that we repent and ask forgiveness as we are instructed, there is one more requirement that Jesus gives for obtaining forgiveness. And I believe that we seldom hear about it. And this is the thing I really wanted to highlight today. Sorry if I'm sneaking it in under the radar a bit, but it is very much a critical part of salvation. After all, can we be saved without obtaining forgiveness from God? Turning to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.14, we read where Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If. That's a qualifying statement, isn't it? If you forgive those who sin against you, then God will forgive you. But if that's not strong enough language for some, we can go on to read the very next verse. Matthew 6.15 says, But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Of course, it's always good to hear from multiple witnesses on any truth to make sure that it is firmly established as the truth. In Mark 11.25, we read, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, 
if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And in Luke 6.37 we read, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then from the letters of Paul, we find in Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Again, implying that this is not a suggestion, but a requirement. Additionally, I would like to add the following warning found in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, for any Latter-day Saints that are listening to this, the Book of Mormon is in full agreement with what the Bible says. For me, this is one of the most sobering sayings of Jesus that we can find anywhere in the scriptures. And yet, it appears to me that much of Christianity, and, and I'm including Mormonism, is oblivious to this. I sometimes shudder at the judgments we pour out on others, whether against other Christians or even on unbelievers. We seldom hesitate to spread gossip or make accusations, especially against public figures, celebrities, or politicians, as if there was some sort of exemption clause for such. I've had people tell me that it's okay if it's a public figure, it's okay if it's a politician. I don't find that anywhere. If you find it in the scriptures, please add it in the comments below. And I really think that it would do well for us to just meditate on this scripture for a moment. A question that came to my mind is, do we hope to escape the judgment of God and, and be forgiven? At the judgment day, would we prefer that God treat us with compassion and, and understanding? Or would we prefer the harsher judgment? The premise here is that if we will refrain from casting our judgment on others and and forgive them, that God will do the same for us. And that's huge. What a promise he gives us that we can grab hold of. But notice here that when we do judge, it's with that same level of judgment, the same degree of harshness that God will return to us when we are judged of him. If I judge someone unfairly, or if I judge them harshly, without mercy, or perhaps without even knowing all of the facts. Now imagine that. Imagine standing before God at the last day. It says that with the same type of judgment, the same degree of harshness, it will be measured back to us. So, no thank you. I, I would like to avoid that, if at all possible. So, 
I got to forgive. I got to stop judging. Is this making any difference in how you think about salvation and forgiveness of sins? Is salvation a free gift? Yes, but it isn't without cost. Additionally, we do have to meet the requirement to receive that free gift. If we want forgiveness, we will need to forgive those who have sinned against us. That means our enemies. That means people who have done horrible things. Even those who would rob from us and murder us. Even those who would take away our rights. Some people are not ready to forgive those who have once abused them or hurt them in some way. And that's understandable. Even harder is it to forgive those who are still hurting us or hurting someone we love. Understand that your forgiveness does not absolve them of their sin or make what they did okay. By forgiving them, you simply allow God to be the judge. And when you forgive, you allow Jesus to set you free. In conclusion, I would like to share with you a parable of Jesus and an experience that a friend of mine, who's a fellow teacher, that he had with the Spirit of God in regards to this parable. So let's read in Matthew 18, verses 23 and 24. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and that payment be made that way. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also had compassion on your fellow servant? just as I had had pity on you. And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that he owed. This brother of mine, a brother in Christ, told me years ago that while he was reading this parable, the Holy Spirit asked him, what did that servant owe? The man in this parable was turned over to the tormentors until he paid all that he owed. So what did he owe? 
And the answer that the Holy Spirit gave him was, he owed forgiveness. The tormentors are demons. When we do not forgive, we are tormented and ultimately we put ourselves in hell. When we do not forgive, Satan has a stronghold in our heart. That's why one of the basic fundamental steps of deliverance ministry, if someone wants to be delivered of an evil spirit, is that they need to search their hearts to see if there is any unforgiveness there. And if there is, to forgive. If we haven't forgiven someone, sometimes the only way to get free is to forgive. Forgiving can be hard. This I personally know. But if we believe Jesus, we need to get this taken care of as soon as possible. Otherwise, we find ourselves in a bad place. Even as Jesus concludes at the end of this parable, in verse 35, where he says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. That's a hard saying. Do we believe it? You know, Jesus said, the truth will set us free. Salvation and forgiveness from God is made possible by what Jesus did at the cross, according to the tender mercies of God. But he does require something from us. We must not only repent of our sins, but we must refrain from passing judgment on others and forgive them for their trespasses against us. For it is the entirety of God's word that is the truth. Amen. And if I haven't offended you yet, I hope you will join us next time. And until then, God bless.